Hello and welcome to Notations, a podcast hosted by Early Music Vancouver. This series explores the who, the why, and the how behind our live and digital concerts. Christina Hutton, and in the second episode of Notations, I will be speaking to Elam Rotem, harpsichordist, singer, scholar, composer, and director of the ensemble Profetti della Quinta. Although Profetti's planned visit to Vancouver has had to be cancelled, Elam is here to discuss his work as a composer. What drew you into the music of the 16th and 17th centuries? So I, I started off, like many, as a child playing the piano. And I was kind of a bad student. I, I never practiced and I sight read very badly. So at some point, I think at age of 17 or so, I decided to stop because I realized that the music that I'm interested in is actually earlier than the repertoire of the piano. And of course, I, I didn't have a harpsichord. I actually never even tried a harpsichord. Uh, there are not many in Israel, but it was clear to me that I want to play the harpsichord and the organ. So for a whole year, I just played Bach because that's the closest thing I had to the music that I liked. And uh, actually, I was kind of lifting my fingers very quickly from the piano so it would kind of click <laughs> as if it's a harpsichord. And and. And this taught me a lot, I mean, of course, about the music of Bach, but also it was the first time I actually practiced sight reading because I just wanted to devour more and more music. Then I got a harpsichord. I was very lucky to get one, a very bad one, but still it allowed me to to really go a little bit backward in the repertoire and I could enjoy you know, some French music that is absolutely impossible to play on the piano, as opposed to Bach, for example, and, you know, some of the earlier virginalists and so on. And the same thing happened with um, with vocal music. And I very quickly noticed what pieces I find more beautiful and more interesting for me. And it was all from the 16th and 17th centuries. 
it's a little unusual these days. I mean, I know plenty of people who are scholar performers or they sort of combine uh, a couple of disciplines, but it's more unusual in my experience to have someone like you who is a master performer and a scholar and also a composer. So what led you to composing, especially composing in a historical idiom? So for me, composing was something very natural from very young age. I think already when I was, even before starting like piano lessons, I was by the piano and I would say, hey, mom, listen, something that I invented. So it was kind of natural for me to kind of invent things at the piano. And I think along the, the, the high school years, I simply try to imitate the music that, that, again, the music that I liked. I tried to compose in old styles then, but I, it, didn't, it didn't work. I, I didn't know enough. And surely I had no one to guide me. I don't know if you know how it is for a composer, someone who tried to refer to himself as a composer and he go to study composition they look at you very badly if you try to compose things that sounds like the music that you like if you know what i mean so it was very clear to me that uh, studying composition in the normal way so to say wouldn't bring me to where i want to go and in fact a, a very famous israeli composer which i appreciated very much who was like very influenced by Renaissance music and tried to kind of, he wrote what we call nowadays modal music, kind of uh, nice on the ear, and but still with a lot of imitations and kind of Renaissance techniques and so on. So I came to him with my compositions and he told me, if you want to be a composer, don't go to the academy. I actually went to the academy, but I left after one year, realizing finally that no one there will help me achieve what I want. And the only way I managed was to simply go and listen and study the compositions that I like. And uh, because I was also interested in singing a little bit, I think from age 18 or so, Almost every day, for a long period, I opened cpdl.org. That was still quite a small website, but had quite a lot of vocal pieces. And every day there was like, you know, pieces added today. And I would look at these pieces, and, and this is how I learned a lot of music by Bird and Lasso. And, you know, you open the PDF and you open the MIDI file and you sing along. And I think I also made my sight reading and singing very well because of this. CPDL, for those of you who are listening who might not know what that is, is this large online repository of uh, choral music in public domain. It, it edited, edited by the community. Indeed, yeah. Sort of the, the counterpart of IMSLP, which is a a similar online repository. And it seems to me that we're in kind of an incredible time um, in the last decade or two where we suddenly have access to so much music. Absolutely. The nice thing about uh, CPDL especially is that because it's everything is community-based, you see also a lot of like very bad editions. 
but it kind of gives you the um, encouragement like you can also be an editor you know take some original notation and do it yourself and uh, actually uh, I also contributed some things when I was still much younger and recently I asked them to take it off because it was a bit embarrassing <laughs> for me at this stage to have these on but still uh, yeah this is one thing uh, this is another thing that kind of taught me a lot and eventually you ended up uh, at the Scuola Cantorum in Basel how did that contribute to your your training and your learning First, I came to Scuola to study Basso Continuo. I did a master's in Basso Continuo. And then, like all the people who come here, they want to stay. And it's not a given that you can stay. You have to study in order to stay. So everyone finds something to study more. The thing that I found was uh, to do a master's in improvisation, historical improvisation. And here... It was a place where, as opposed to the standard music academy, here when someone composed something in a historical style, it is absolutely understood. Yeah, it's very easy. You just grab some people and you can perform it and no one raise an eyebrow. It's, it's fine. I wouldn't say that it is encouraged so much, but it is understood. Yeah, I think we, we sort of live with this I don't know, legacy from the 19th century, maybe that there's some kind of a, a narrative of musical progress and compositions should be new in some sense. And even, you know, Mendelssohn had to deal with this kind of attitude of, well, if you try to compose like Bach, then you're, you're doing a composition exercise by definition. So what is it about the musical language of the 16th and 17th centuries that really speaks to you and maybe also to your audiences as you see it. So, first of all, I was just fascinated by some recordings that I heard and I wanted to see how it works. The concept of a monody with a singer who can declaim the text in such a way which is almost like speaking, but then it can also change to kind of more singing and um, the fact that the musical uh, rules were very often kind of broken on purpose in order to shock the listener. It, it's just very, very exciting. It's a basic thing. It's very, very exciting and a, a great playground. Just put a text and you can make something of it. And specifically, the thing that I did was inspired first and foremost by the Jewish composer Salomone Rossi. Salomone Rossi was a colleague of Claudio Monteverdi. They worked together, they composed together, and they played together. So it seems we don't have a lot of evidence, but we do have a little, a little bit. And uh, he was a very prolific composer. He composed instrumental music. And he composed the Italian madrigals. Uh, but then, at some point in Mantova, where he lived, he also went back to his Jewish community and decided to compose prayers and psalms to be used in the liturgy. And of course, he used it in the musical language that he knew, which is basically, you know, the same musical language of Monteverdi. <laughs> 
not only that he did that, he also published it. So this uh, collection of prayers and psalms became really the bread and butter of Profeti. Whenever we go, people want to hear that. Uh, it's really fascinating to hear Western Christian polyphony in Hebrew. So this concept of using the Western musical language and specifically of this exciting time in music history to tell another story was my idea. Um, also specifically from the Jewish community in Mantova that they were exceptionally musical and were dealing uh, in different arts and they were like uh, theater groups and musicians. It's only thanks to this that Rossi's invention could have worked because you have to have those professional musicians. Some of his Hebrew music is quite virtuosic actually. So you need to have professional musicians which happen to be also Jewish. And we don't have any evidence of, of what was going on there because everything was ruined. There was a war in the 1630s and all the Jewish ghetto was completely ruined. But one can imagine. And what I imagined is that Salomone Rossi, uh, you know, for some special events in the community, composed a little uh, oratoria or a favola in musica, a little opera, but with Jewish sources. So this what led me to to try and compose Joseph and his brethren. So what I first did was compose just the first chapter of the story and it ends with the very very dramatic part where Jacob the father of Joseph is getting Joseph's torn tonic uh, which is full with blood uh, because his, the brothers of Joseph uh, stage his death and it's very very dramatic very very operatic Anyway, I composed this and then I arrived at the end of this thing and then I realized that it was just the first act of something bigger. <laughs> and I had to go on and compose the rest. <laughs> at the time, I also uh, called it Rappresentazione di Giuseppe e i suoi fratelli. By giving it an Italian name, using the term Rappresentazione, taking um, from... Emilio de Cavalieri's piece, which is considered to be more or less the first oratoria or even the first opera-like piece. Oh, 
hearing Come With Me from Lebanon, from Profeti della Quinta's CD, Song of Songs and Dark Biblical Love Tales. I'm curious about text and text setting and your choice to set Hebrew texts. Is there anything special about uh, the Hebrew language that shapes the way you might set it to music? It's definitely different from Latin and Latin languages because the accents are often in different places. So it just makes it different. And I had to invent a little bit kind of how to do it because the only examples I have from Rossi is for more motet-like things. So the pieces by Rossi are very kind of homophonic and slow and we don't sadly have any examples of him from, you know, more stile representativo. I don't know how he would have done that. Uh, so I had to invent a little bit. I don't know if there is something special about it. It's just what it is. Can you share maybe a little bit about uh, your compositional process? Like, what does it look like for you to, you know, choose a text and then then work from that text and eventually end up with a musical composition? So I aimed to uh, follow a similar process that uh, the musicians who I look up to went through. So in the late Renaissance, it was quite, quite a clear system already that from a certain text and from certain words, certain affects are found and then each affect is either soft or hard and then there are a set of musical means which are either soft or hard and this basically what dictate how the music will be but then of course this is very very uh, gray you know, there are many kinds of soft and many kinds of hard. And um, there is also a little bit of a layer of interpretation. For example, when someone cries, it could be a very soft and quiet thing. And it could be a terrible cry, yeah, which would be composed harshly with the hard, harsh means. Yeah, one of the early episodes of Early Music Sources deals with that. It's called uh, Durum and Mole in Renaissance Compositions. So this is what guided me. And this is true in the macro as well as in the micro. So, you know, you have the general feel of the scene. And then you can choose the mode accordingly. And then you have a certain word that you want a special effect on, on it. And then it also dictate that. And just uh, for the, the general audience, could you maybe explain a little bit um, what some of those soft and hard musical effects might be? So as I said, the, um, almost every, every musical aspect can be 
uh, categorized with these things. So major intervals are considered harsh, which is fine. Nowadays we think of major thirds and major sixths as, uh, as nice and but in that time, uh, in, in the 16th century, it was used for harsh things. So even, for example, in Monteverdi, when he wanted to have, you know, um, in, the, in his combatimento, for example, when there is like, a, a, you know, the sword fight, it's just a lot of very quick major chords. And, and anything with, with trumpets, which kind of are related to, you know, to the underworld or to the afterlife and like bad things. So trumpets and trumpets play in major and it's, it, it's a hard thing, not a happy thing. And a major sixth is, is an interval that was not permitted to use, not at all. Of course, some, some brave composers use it, but they use it on the most terrible moments. So this is, for example, what harsh intervals are. And the same for the minor ones. So a minor third and a minor sixth. And there are many things you can do with these things, you know, in polyphony. It strikes me that you've been very, very interested in communication. And you mentioned just a moment ago your Early Music Sources website, uh, which uh, I, as a as a music instructor, have found many, many uses for. So uh, first of all, thank you for that. But do you want to share a little bit about um, that project and, and maybe encourage people to, to have a look at it? For me, it's a very fun way to share my ideas and thoughts about music. And I find that it's a much better medium to discuss music than any book or paper or even live presentation. Simply the medium allows better things. And, uh, and I hope to, to, to use it. And now there is quite a lot of uh, people who watch it. So I feel very responsible. <laughs> so I, I try to always, you know, work with specialists to make the content as harmless as possible. <laughs> Whenever you say something, you, you may get something wrong and someone can misunderstand something. So for those of you who are curious, Elam produces these really beautiful, interesting, inspiring videos about um, early music topics. Many of them are also quite quite humorous and engaging in that way. So I would encourage you to, to go and check those out. cpdl.org yeah, so thank you very much for being willing to share some of your musical experiences and insights. Thank you very much, Christina. This is Elam Rotem with his ensemble Profetti della Quinta and an excerpt from Rotem's Joseph and His Brethren. Thank you for listening to this episode of Notations. Mm-hmm.